We had a, a series, it was what, four weeks or so before Christmas? Fittingly so, it started Thanksgiving weekend and it proceeded on through. It was called a season of giving. If it wasn't called that then, I've officially named it now. So it's a season of giving. And there were some really, really good things. Let me summarize. I could give out prizes for those of you remembering what the themes were, but for the sake of time, um, we will summarize for you. Absolutely. While we're doing that, I have good news. There's no clocks in this room, and my watch stopped working, so time is not a factor. <laughs> Joy, oh, he's got a watch. I need a watch. Dan's setting me up here with the remote. But a season of giving, there we go. The first one, fittingly so, on Thanksgiving was giving thanks. And there was some really good challenge to, to be a thankful believer and to give thanks for God's enormous gifts. The next one Joel talked about in uh, the sacrificial giving. God's sacrificial giving for us. And I understand, wasn't able to be there, but I understand in some real detail and, and uh, moving time to realize exactly what did it mean? What did Christ go through? What was his sacrifice? That was followed up by what I did here and what I was really touched by was the reason for the gift. The reason for the gift. Dan did a great job explaining why did Christ come? Why did he come as a baby? Why did he die? And it was just really eye-opening again uh, as to the gift and what it means, how huge, how significant, how lost we'd be without it. That was followed by, by another one of the most uh, challenging messages that uh, I've heard in many, many in a while. It was a worship the gift. Mark laid it out just so clearly that Jesus Christ, the gift, not only requests but demands worship from us. Not only from us but from all our creatures. And the thing that really stuck out to me about his message was, one, that everyone was created to worship the Creator. But sin just gets in the way of that. It starts out all of us. You heard CP saying that. All of us were wrecked by sin. All of us were wrecked by sin. And, and the fact is that no sin doesn't necessarily destroy the fact that you've been made in the image, but it hamstrings you. It, it, it cripples us from being able to worship God the way we were designed to do. And what was so powerful is that, that Mark then laid out how Jesus Christ coming, dying, paying for our sin freed us from that, that um, crippling, freed us from that restriction, and now we can worship God the way we were created to worship Him. And it's not a bondage, it's a freedom. A freedom to be who you were designed to be. I kept thinking about a bird. Did you use the example of a bird flying? No, I added that, I guess. But, you know, you think about a bird, what's a bird designed to do? Soar, fly. If you tie up a bird, it's not happy, it's not free. And we, being tied up from sin, for those who receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. For those who do that, you're free to be who God's made you to be. And Mark laid it out. You know what? It's not an option. If you're a creation, if you've been saved, your existence is to glorify God. To glorify God. And I was really, really challenged by that. And that, he reminded us that the chief end of man is to glorify God. That's why we're here. That's why you were made. And whether that's glorifying God by sharing the good news, whether that's glorifying God by loving and encouraging each other, that is what it's about. You're to glorify God. And really, 
that left a big question. When? Where? How often? And 1 Corinthians 10.31 then laid out a, a really clear answer to all those questions. And keep your finger in 1 Samuel, but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And be hit again with the truth of this verse. Therefore, you've got to see it for yourself. This is powerful. Following up from that, that message, if we're to glorify God, how, when, doing what? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. When? All the time. Where? Everywhere you go. How often? Always. Always. In everything you do, our job is to glorify God. And that brings us kind of to the, the summary of all these, all these different messages. And it brings us face front, face to face with the reality. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. The reality is that God wants all of you. God wants everything you do, everything you think about, everything you talk about to glorify Him. Now think for a minute. Does Christian culture in our North American society call for that? No, Aaron was, was challenging us Wednesday night. What does Christian culture in our society call for? Well, if I can give God 20 minutes a day, that's enough, right? If I go to church once a week, if I'm really on track, I'll go twice a week, and that's enough. Maybe I'll give 10% to God, although the national average, I'm told, is 2%. Give something to God anyway, and I'm doing all right. But the sharp reality that we face is that that's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. God wants all of you. God wants your life. Your all. And so it brings up a nice timing, don't you think? In the time of New Year's resolutions... In the time of starting fresh in 2006, here's a goal for you. Here's something to shoot for. Give your all. Give your all for God in 2006. And our time together really is to lay out what does that mean? How are you going to go about it? What's the approach to take? Now, interesting thing about New Year's resolutions. Raise your hand if you've made any resolutions. A couple. Okay. Raise your hand if you've broken those already. Yeah, I have. I'm going to lose 26 pounds this year. Why 26? Because I gained 26 in 2005, so I'm on a two-year plan. But you may have them too. You may have the goals. And some of them we can afford to keep, and some of them we can afford to break. But let me lay it clearly. We can't afford to avoid giving our all for the Lord in 2006. I was hit between the eyes again by Mark. Mark's on a roll in my life, I think. But being at that funeral Thursday hearing stories about a godly man who gave his life for the Lord. And you hear a life, and it puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Sums it up. What's your life going to matter for? What's it going to look like? Is it going to be for God, or is it going to be for self? There's a fine line there, and we step on self-line far too much, don't we? But let's make it different. Let's commit. Let's make a change. And the goal this morning is kind of lay out a pathway together for that. I wanted to start with something that I don't do enough, uh, but taking a look back, take a look at some of the examples that have gone before us. Uh, take a look at those in the Holy Scriptures who have, who have done this, to, an, to at least to a, a huge extent. 
and let's gain inspiration from them. So we'll take a look at three examples that we can follow there. There's two motivations for this, and we're going to talk about them. You're going to love one and hate the other, but we're going to talk about them both. We're going to talk about the how-to. And again, this isn't KT's how-to. This is what has God laid out as far as how to live for him. What's the way to do it? Where do you get the strength? Let's start in 1 Samuel. This is the first of our examples, and it's a, what I believe is a godly woman named Hannah. We're going to start in verse 10. And again, you've heard me say this, but any authority, any power that comes from any challenge from the Word comes where? From the Word itself. So I don't make any apology for reading several verses because this is the meat, this is the power. And let the Lord touch your life with it. Soak up what it has to say. Talking about Hannah, I'll start in verse 9. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. A little background, this woman couldn't have children for whatever reason. And so she was very, very upset about this. So when she went, as they did regularly, to the temple to worship, this time there was a, a little bit of difference. Verse 10, And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed to the Lord, and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have, spoke, I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to the house of Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah's wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice in his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will take him, and he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. And Elkanah, and her, husband, Elkanah her husband said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. So the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her and three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. Hannah, I believe a godly woman, gave her all for the Lord. Now what are you talking about? She didn't go and stay at the temple. Well, any mother here can tell you that even more valuable than her own life is the life of her dear little boy. 
And Hannah gave her all. She made a promise to the Lord, and she delivered that promise. And her son Samuel, who went on to be a godly, godly man used by the Lord, didn't he? Because Hannah was faithful to give her all. Commit big. That's the first lesson from Hannah. Notice it wasn't just a little, okay, Lord, this year I'm going to read my Bible once. This year I'm going to... No, this was huge. This was her full value. This was what was important to her. This was everything that, that uh, was meaningful to her. Her son, Samuel, and she gave Samuel to the Lord. And God did not disappoint. So a challenge. How do you give your all in 2006? Commit and commit big. There's no half-heartedness, no room for that. God wants you all, and we need to turn over and commit our entire selves to Him. And secondly, follow through. This is tough. If any of you know me, you know this is tough for me. We're great at making promises. We're great at making commitments, but do we follow through? And I am touched and challenged by a mother. Could that be easy? Rip your guts out. I tell you what, leave your son, see him once a year. What a nightmare, and yet she did it to honor the Lord. She did it to honor the Lord. She followed through. So do you want to be a person who gives your all? Then commit big to the Lord. Don't hold back on him. Don't shortchange him. Commit to the Lord. Discuss with him what it means to give him your all. And then follow through. We've got to help each other with that. We've got to help each other. The first example, crystal clear. Commit big and follow through. Take a look at Jeremiah. You're not going to like this one either. Challenging stuff. Jeremiah was a, a man who the Lord made it very, very clear what it would cost him to give the Lord his all. Chapter 1. little background. Jeremiah was the son of Hilkiah and the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. And then verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me, and this is Jeremiah speaking, then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, or set you apart. And I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot, and it is facing toward away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. They shall come, and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around. Why do I read all that? Because Jeremiah was clearly called by God. When? Well, way back even when he was in his mother's womb, isn't it? God has a plan even then. 
But he was called out and said, Jeremiah, you're mine. You're going to serve me. You're going to live for me. And it was not a glamorous calling. The reason I read those last few verses, what kind of news was he bringing? Bad news, wasn't it? Disgusting news, terrible news. He's called the weeping prophet for a reason, people. Bad news. No one likes delivering bad news, but Jeremiah was called by God to give his all. Did he do it? Well, you can read how many different chapters of Jeremiah faithfully delivering God's word to the point with so much dedication and so much consistency that tradition would tell us that for the sake of God, as a martyr, he was put into a log and sawn in half to his death. Serious, serious commitment. But the clear message is this. Answer your calling. Answer your calling. Raise your hand if you've had a verbal calling. Oh, we're safe then, right? Phew! No. All of us who know Jesus Christ have been called by the Lord. Be faithful to answer that calling consistently and persistently. Again, I'm great at setting up goals. Yes, I'm going to do this for the Lord. And two weeks later, I'm done. Maybe I'll wait another few months and then I'll start again. Jeremiah was consistent. Bad news and all. Persistent all the way through his life, even to the end. How do you give your all? You've got to be consistent. You've got to be persistent. It's not a part-time occupation. It'd be nice if the Lord told Jeremiah, well, on every second Tuesday of the month, you're going to serve me. No, it was a lifelong call. You've got a lifelong call. 1 Peter 1, chapter, 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 23 lays it out. Check on it later. God has said, you are set apart. As a child of God, you're set apart and called to a holy standard of living. Are you feeling the weight of this? This is no little thing to give your all. This is no uh, small tidbit of, okay, it'll take me about five minutes a week and I'm good to go. This is everything. This is everything. Hannah, Jeremiah gave their all. There's another guy in Acts, in the book of Acts, that we should look at. I think you've heard of this one. started out with his name Saul. And there's six verses here that powerfully show... Uh, what this was all about. Chapter 9 of Acts, verse 1. Talk about a turnaround. Talk about giving your all as a complete opposite. Saul was murdering Christians and, and carrying out threats. We'll read. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Another powerful calling. Anyone see any bright, blinding lights on the road and hear God's voice ring? I haven't. Good, we're safe. No. Another powerful calling. But you've been called powerfully too, haven't you? If you know Christ as your Savior, you've been called as 
Paul has. And maybe you can remember the day where Jesus took you from death to life. And that's a powerful time. But I want to show you in this transformation that you've got to follow God's plan. And Paul did that. Notice, and this is big, I think. This is really big. Notice when God called Paul, he didn't say, whatever you want to do, Paul, go do. What did he say? Verse 6. Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. If you want to give your all for God, it's not about what you want. It's not about what you'd like to accomplish and then tack on a little for the glory of God at the end. This is about you following God's plan. And we don't have the loud voices, but we do have a clear plan. And I believe each one of you, when seeking the Lord, will be led into a clear plan to follow. Follow God's plan. And here's, a, here's an addition. With passion. With passion. Why do I add that? Because Paul had passion. Take a look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And get a feel for this passion that Paul lived out his calling. I wish we could read the first few, but time is time, and so we're going to move to verse 9. No, verse 8. Listen to this passion. God laid out a plan for Paul, and this is how Paul responds throughout his life. But indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me, Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I think some versions say straining. Reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you hear the passion of Paul there? This was not a Sunday afternoon pursuit that all the other six and a half days of the week are mine, but half a day I'm going to be really driven for God. This was his life, my friends. This was his passion. A follower of God has to be passionate about following him. And that means that you forget everything. You count everything as garbage except one thing. What is it? That I may know him. No Christ. That is not the passion of my life on a consistent and persistent basis. Is it yours? It's got to be. It's got to be. And it's got to start now. Paul, consistently with passion, followed not his own agenda, but God's agenda. Powerful examples. Hannah, she committed big. 
She offered what was most important to her, her own son, and she followed through with it. Jeremiah answered his calling consistently and persistently, and Paul followed God's plan with passion. Three examples, and I hope you're challenged by all three. And it's really now a matter of what's your life going to look like. Are you going to step to the plate? Are you going to follow God and give Him your all? Start with this year. Start with this month. Start with this week. But give Him your all. Why? Two reasons. Two motivations. You're going to hate one and love the other. The first one, you will love. one of them you'll love. The other you will hate. But both are equally important. Both are equally important. And my prayer this morning, my hope, is that you will be responding and I'll be responding to the Word of God in these. So let's take a look. Danger always harasses me. He says, I a lot of times come at you with hammers and nails. And that's the first motivation, is the hammers and nails. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Turn there with me. Be, be reassured, be encouraged by the first nine verses before you feel the weight of verse 10. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Can you identify with that? Is that you? Were you lost in your sins and now have received Christ as your Savior? If you have, excellent. If you haven't, do that today. Do that today. Take those words to heart. God's offered a gift. Don't pass it up. And if you're in that group that has this morning then verse 10 is for you. Take a look. For you, for we, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What's the motivation? It's a done deal, my friends. It's already been set up. God has chosen the works that you will do for him. He's lined it up. He's laid out the path that he wants you to take in order to give him your all. It's on the table. It's been made set. And as you follow him, it'll be made clear. Don't waste the opportunity. Don't miss out on the plan, the works that God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. That's a starting a motivation that he's laid it out. But take a look at 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. And this is the part that grates on our flesh. 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 6, verse 19. 
Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. One, he's laid out the plan for you. He's got it all figured out. Why? Because you are his. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are not your own. You have been bought. You have been purchased. You are the Lord's. And again, our flesh grates on this. Because I want to be my own man. I want to control things. It's about me, me, me. No, it's not about me. It's not about you. You are not your own. You belong to God. Romans 12 puts it another way, a powerful way. Romans 12, verses 1 or 2. You could quote this for me if you went to ACC when Andrew was there. You could sing it for me. But the first two verses are crystal clear. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Sacrifices do not belong to themselves, do they? When an animal was sacrificed, it was that was it. The animal was no longer about its life. In fact, it was dead. Well, thankfully, we are living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. But the truth remains is that it's not about us. What is the motivation? God has laid out a plan for you to fulfill. Why? Because you're His. Does that leave a lot of debate? Does that leave a lot of choice in the matter? Well, choice to obey and to love and to follow and to honor that calling that he's given you. Why? Because you're his. He's bought you with a precious, precious price. You are not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Heavy, isn't it? Realizing that it's not about me. Realizing that there's not much debate in this. It's not a matter of if I obey, it's a matter of when I finally see the light and start living out the calling that God has. Hard stuff. There's your hammer. Dan, now let's go to glue. Glue is soft and warm. <laughs> Thankfully, there's a lot of warm invitation that you're going to love about giving your all. And Galatians chapter 3 gives us a start of that. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, and we'll go through 4, 8. My mom will love this passage because it's about adoption. Verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that an heir, the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. 
But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now understand there very clearly that son is, is the general mankind. Sons and daughters, you could add even if you wanted. Sons and daughters, so that you, being a son or daughter, can cry out to the authority in the universe, Daddy. Daddy. There's a warmth there that's offered. There's a comfort there that's offered. Take, at an, take a look at another one. We're going to look at two contrasting. Jeremiah, verse chapter 50. I always have trouble finding Jeremiah. It's after Isaiah. Chapter 50. Listen to the contrast here. Listen and see if this is comforting to you. This is a people who did not give God their all. This is a group of people who did not follow him wholeheartedly. And listen to the comfort they have. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. All who found them have devoured them. And their adversaries said, We have not offended because they have sinned against the Lord, the habitation of justice, the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Comforting, warm, destruction, away from a resting place, no rest, pain. But look at Psalm 23 and look what's offered from Daddy. Psalm 23, and you know it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Which one do you like? Jeremiah 50, Psalm 23. Jeremiah 50 were people, children of God, who were not giving their all. They were not following the shepherd. They were off doing their own thing like we do so often. And what awaited them? Despair, destruction, pain, suffering. What about those who follow God with their whole heart? What does Daddy offer us? Comfort. Rest. Green pastures without enemies, uh, even if there are enemies, peace in the presence of those enemies. That's an appealing thought. There is a peace and a comfort that comes with giving God your all. And he promises it. That's what is so awesome about God, is that he has made you to give him your all. And when you're giving him your all, that's when you're going to be the most fulfilled the most peaceful, the most joyful. Will it be the easiest road? No. But the most peace, the most jo uh, joy, the most fulfillment. You are his precious lamb. You are his precious lamb. My, gran uh, my 
Grandma and Grandpa gave me this Bible in 1983 for my seventh birthday. And there's a picture on there, maybe you have it, with Jesus holding a little lamb with children around him. And I forget this picture too often because your heavenly Father wants to hold you and nurture you and feed you and protect you and care for you. And that's not uh, just a children's Bible cover. That is the reality. That is a shelter from the garbage of this world. That is a peace in the storm of depression, anxiety, uncertainty, financial struggle, family members forsaking you, pain. He wants to carry you through it. But you know what is amazing? He wants to give you rest, but it comes through following Him. It comes from following His plan. It comes from following His approach. And so you've got two motivations. Give your all. Why? One, because it's not yours to give. It's His. Live out who you are. You're God's. But two, because you will find fulfillment. You will find joy. You will find peace. You will find satisfaction beyond what you could ever imagine. You notice how weird we are as people? We are convinced that if we chase the pleasures of the world, we will be comfortable and happy. But how much does it fulfill? If it fulfills for a short time, God offers a peace and a fulfillment that maybe is beyond what you've ever experienced to this point. I hope you've gotten a taste of it. But once you experience it, He'll bring you further and further and further and further into it. And it'll be more than you've ever desired. Culminating when? When He takes you home to be with Himself. And you'll sit at His feet and just enjoy Him forever. How do you do it? Where do you start? We've got a couple of minutes to lay out somewhat of a game plan. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture for a few reasons. One, because it's again crystal clear as to what's expected. Two, it's, it's very motivating and, and you get that feeling again. You get that clear view that this is the, what life is about. But three, it gives you a very, very practical way to start resting in God and to start following Him and to start following His lead. Chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Therefore, Put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also once conducted your, sorry, and once you also once walked when you lived in them. But now you must also put up all these: anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, 
meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Quite the passage. You see the things that you're supposed to leave. Lying, filthy language, which we struggle with guys often, don't we? On the line jokes or locker room talk or whatever it would be. Anger. Any of you struggle with anger? Go down the list of all the things to leave. Then the things to put on. Humility, meekness, and all love above all. But the focus that I want us to understand is the how-to. Where's the strength of it? Thankfully, verse 16 lays it out really, really clearly. If you had to accomplish all those lists on your own, how far would you get? I can tell you from experience, when I've tried it on my own, it just don't work. Pardon my grammar. It just doesn't work. It don't work right unless you follow God's plan. And what is God's plan? Let's see it clearly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Where do you find the word of Christ these days? In uh, maybe every shelf in America, or at least a lot of them. The word of Christ is here. It's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, as Hebrews said, and it's at your disposal. It's at your convenience, availability. It's there for you. But the question will be, is are you going to dive into it? Are you going to gain the strength you need from spending serious time in the Word? You've got to answer that question. I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you to ponder it right now. Ponder it. Think about it right now. How are you going to answer that? How are you going to be in the Word in 2006? Because without the Word of God, it won't happen. John 15, verse 5 through 8, drives this point home. Jesus Christ himself in talking about that close abiding, sticking close to him, allowing him to hold you in his arms, says very clearly in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. You can't do it apart from God's word. And I'm convinced that we're not talking about just a set time where I accomplish my 20 minutes, no matter if it touches my heart or not, and I'm done for the day. No, this is a constant dependence on God's word, seeking him for the answers. I've been in my job for about two and a half years now, and I still do a lot of calling to ask questions, but I remember those first weeks when I didn't know anything. And there was a phone number, my manager's phone number, I think I must have worn it out, calling him, asking him the questions, getting the advice. I want to know how to do it right. I want to be successful. Let's do the same. The manual's here. 
God's mind is open, ready for you to ask and seek how to follow. And my challenge to you is lay out a significant plan, a consistent plan for being in God's Word. And you determine whether that's one verse a day or what, but make it a meaningful time. I had a good discussion over Christmas about the futility of going through the motions reading the Word of God. It just doesn't help. doesn't do it. And I'm not saying only read the Bible when you feel like it, because then I wouldn't be reading it much. But at least commit every time you open the Word to commit with an open heart, asking God to guide you, direct you. And I don't think we can go wrong by setting and committing to being in it daily. The Bereans were commended and congratulated by, for searching the Scriptures every day. And they were sharpened and strengthened. Do the same. It's clear. It's simple. It's important. The Word is crucial. Secondly, and we'll wrap up here, 1 Thessalonians 5. Again, a verse you probably could quote. It says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Let's read it together. Verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's will is laid out very, very clearly. Philippians chapter 4. You want the peace of God? Here it is. Be anxious for nothing. Verse 6 of chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Paraphrase. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace is offered. Prayer has been said to equal dependence. Give God a dependent heart and talk to Him. Set up a regular time and then, and then go beyond that. Pray all the time. Make it an attitude as much as an action of attitude of dependence. Read the Word with a listening, hearing heart and a doing heart. And then respond to God in prayer with more questions and more requests and more statements of love and more thankfulness. You know what this sounds like, strangely? A relationship, doesn't it? How do you give your all, like Hannah and Jeremiah and Paul? How do you give your all for the Lord? got to stay close to Christ. Relationship with Him. Relationship with Him. And how do you do it? He promises if we spend time in His Word with open hearts and we have an attitude of dependence with constant prayer, He's going to pull us close. We'll be abiding in Him. He'll draw us into His arms and we'll experience a sweet, sweet relationship beyond what we could ever imagine. Revelation 3.20, our closing verse I think is a neat, neat picture. And the context here is not salvation. The context is after salvation. The context is fellowship. What do we mean by that? Look at chapter 3, verse 20 of Revelation. Behold, Jesus himself talking here. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. There's an intimate expression about a relationship that God wants to have with you. 
as intimate as if you were sharing a meal together, as intimate as you were dear friends and family sitting around the table listening and laughing and talking and, and asking questions and hearing advice. And, oh, great stuff is out there for us. And here's a challenge. Take this home. Lay out how you're going to commit big for God this year. Maybe you want to write it down. That'd be great. Answer your calling consistently and persistently. Don't let it be something you do in the month of January and then forget until next December 31st. Make it consistent, persistent. Follow God's plan for your life with a passion. Passion. Not half-heartedly, wholeheartedly. Be dedicated to the Word. That's where you're going to see God's plan start to, to show itself clearly. That's where God's going to start to speak to your heart as I fully believe He will through His Spirit. And then ask Him. Pray to Him. Depend on Him. Make prayer like breathing. As often as you pray or think, make it turn it to Him. In the car, as you walk, as things come up, as you're happy, as you're sad, He wants that relationship with you. Huge task ahead, but enormous opportunity and more reward and joy and fulfillment than you could ever imagine. You want 2006 to be the best year of your life? Follow God with your whole heart and he promises to make it the best. Father, this is heavy stuff, but exciting stuff. It's hard to hear, but it's comforting too. Good to see examples, but it's scary to, to think of measuring up to your standards. Lord, we're desperate for your help in all this. It's, it's clear to know that we need to be in your word and need to be making prayer like breathing, but it's intimidating to think about how much work that'll be. Lord, we cast ourselves on you, depending on you. Thankful that your word says that it's you who wills and to work in our lives for his good pleasure, Lord, that you give us that desire and the follow-through to live for you. So, humbly, knowing that uh, on our own we'll fail, we come to you asking for you to take these lives, take each one of them. If they're not yours already, save them, make them your own. If they're yours, take our lives, form them, shape them, we're desperate to live for you. We're desperate to follow you with our whole heart. And we're excited about what you have for us. In Jesus' name.